lot of things in healthcare have been smoldering for a long time. And over the last three to four years, cracks have been broken, things have opened up, and we've started to see the real issues. All right, everybody, welcome to another current event style episode of EM Over Easy. I'm here with John right now and then some guests. We have multiple medical students from the RSO of ACOAP here today with us to talk about a topic that you and Andy and Jeff and Megan talked about recently on our show, the match, the 2023 match. 23 match. Yeah. That was an interesting match. It was a doozy. And so they got our perspective, but we thought it is only fair because there are multiple perspectives to be had. And another perspective on this is the student perspective. So if you guys could just real quick go around the room and let us know who all is at the table so our listeners have the the advantage of the view, and, and then we'll get into it. I'm Savannah. I'm a current third year medical student. I'm Lulio. I'm a fourth year. I'm Spencer, also a recent match victim. I'm Alexandra. I'm a third year. Hey, y'all. I'm Katie. I am a current third year. Awesome. Welcome to the show. So I am not in an academic center. The rest of my co-hosts are. But even though I'm not in academics, when I saw the results, because, you know, Twitter match day is always really fun to see where everyone's matching and the programs are putting out photos and all kinds of stuff. And then all of a sudden there was like this giant like cloud that just like came across and everyone was like in a state of like shock and kind of panic and fear. And so it was very strange to be outside the academic world and see that and go, man, I wonder how they're feeling. And I sent texts to, you know, my buddies and being like, hey, I'm very interested to hear what happened and what you guys think. And so then they just did that episode. And I thought it was really great how they framed things and and stuff along those lines. But I am actually way more curious about the medical student view of this. And it makes me want to like reach out to other medical schools and be like, Hey, like emergency medicine interest programs, like what are you guys thinking? What's going on? And so I think maybe let's just start off real quick. Like what was your guys' first kind of reactions and, and thoughts? And then we'll kind of maybe dive into some of the details. So I am a fourth year. I just went through the match and I think kind of my initial reactions I would describe as very bittersweet. I mean, the whole day itself, you know, you're waiting for that email at nine o'clock and then you're checking in on all your friends, seeing who matched. And I was very fortunate that all my close friends all matched. And then we went on Twitter and you saw that there were 555 open spots and, you know, my stomach dropped and I was texting Spencer and it was such a bittersweet feeling because you're so excited to go into EM. I've known I wanted to go into EM for so long. And then just to see that there were this many open spots and you feel horrible for the programs. You think about the students who didn't want to be in EM and now are going to be in EM and all the questions surrounding it. So it was a very strange feeling, I think. And I know Spencer was, we were going back and forth a lot about it that day too. It was an interesting feeling. Yeah, it's hard to kind of put yourself back in those shoes because you can't unring the bell knowing what you know now. Uh, So it's, I don't know that I thought that much about it before because we had that lead up year last year where it was already 200 some odd spots that didn't fill and that was considered a major, you know, tectonic shift. And so, but I hadn't really anticipated, oh, is this year going to be like that as well? Well, now we've established a trend, you know, we have two data points now. And so it seems less surprising now, especially when you look back a couple of years and we look at the the workforce report and the effect that that may have had on the minds of, of med students that were just coming into med school. And then we have the COVID years and med students being exposed to these 
changing dynamics in the emergency department. All these things that we talk about in EM, overcrowding, everything, med students are watching that. And so I wasn't totally shocked, but it still hurts. You described yourself as a victim of the 2023 match. What do you mean by that? Well, I did successfully match, so I'm not, I'm not trying to. And I successfully matched a wonderful program, so I'm not, it's not the, the outcome. It's just the process itself is extremely challenging to, to interface with. It often doesn't make sense, and, that, and that's why we have to explain it to our families over and over and over <laughs> and over. I've told my father how the match works about 15,000 times, and he still asks, and that's fine. He's invested. It's wonderful. But, yeah, you do feel like a victim sometimes. You feel like you're really at the mercy, especially when you... When you're someone who feels like you're, you know, if you have a spouse, you have a significant other, you're trying to navigate this together. And it's like, hey, let's uproot our whole lives again. And we're not going to find out until this arbitrary date. It's, it does feel like victimhood sometimes. I actually really like that input because I think that's something that a lot of things in healthcare have been smoldering for a long time. And over the last three to four years, cracks have been broken, things have opened up, and we've started to see the real issues and I think the match is kind of one of them. It's a very difficult process. It's a weird process. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it kind of makes sense. And so it's been very interesting to watch how that's developed over time and how things have started to shift. And as you pointed out, we have now multiple data points to start saying, "Woo, there's a trend here. What are we doing? And maybe that's a good time to shift over to our third years and be like, what are you thinking about this? It was really interesting watching everything unfold on Twitter as well. I think as a third year watching all of our friends match and seeing them achieve their dreams after we know it's such a difficult process was incredible. So it was so fun and exciting to see everybody match. And then the realization hit of, oh my goodness, look at how many spots are open. And, you know, as someone who's been EM bound from the beginning, like I don't have a doubt in my mind about the profession. Like I am so excited for it. But it makes you think, what is the perception of other students looking at this field? And especially since most schools don't allow you to do EM rotations until your fourth year, people don't have the exposure that a lot of us have had. And it makes you think about what they're thinking and are they like, oh, is it not a good field? And we all know at this table that it is the best. So it's a weird time. Yeah, someone we have a group chat for my school's rising fourth years who are potentially interested in emergency medicine and someone, you know, commented on the number of unmatched spots and programs very cynically. And it's someone I think who is, you know, kind of on the fence between EM and something else. And so I'm just very interested to see kind of how the dynamics switch from the student perspective this year, because I think like you were talking about, the match is such a weird normalized thing in healthcare and becoming a physician that we have just accepted. And I think that especially with emergency medicine, we're seeing really this quickly changing dynamic. And I think we have to respond to it appropriately. But I mean, I'm as excited as ever, but I think that it'll be interesting. I know a handful of people who are looking into more potentially competitive specialties and might be applying to EM as a backup. And so I'm interested to see how that changes things. Oh, that cracks me up. EM as a backup. 
which I think is going to be incredibly difficult because you have your primary auditions and then you also have to get slows at specific EM institutions. And now I think people are seeing, oh, well, there were so many unmatched spots last year. Let me just throw EM as a, you know, quote, backup specialty because of the numbers. And I just, I don't even know how that'll work out. I'm just thinking more of like, I don't know, life and job satisfaction. If you think you can just do EM as a backup, you're going to be sorely disappointed in that it's not A, a clinic, or B, a surgery where you have control over everything. Like, it is literally the antithesis of pretty much every other specialty. And so, you know, I think people going into EM, one of the things we're definitely going to find out is the people who really like EM, because they're going to say, you know, it doesn't matter to me. I see a lot of issues, but I love it, and I'm going to do it. Well, that's the question. I mean, we're the EM diehards here, clearly. We're the people who, and the people who have continued to choose EM, those are the people who I think we're going to choose it regardless. But maybe that's 554 fewer people than we need. And so we have to figure out how to sway those people who don't come in with, you know, prior experience or just knowing that this is what they want to do. Well, and it makes you wonder too, you know, looking around the room of your class of residents. Like who maybe doesn't really want to be here? And then do you have doubt in your mind? Like, are we going to click because maybe they're bitter that this wasn't their specialty of choice? You know, this is their backup plan. And are they going to leave? Are we going to have open spots in our PGY2 year? You just don't know what's going to happen. And hopefully everyone will realize how great of a specialty it is. But it makes you question looking around the room of maybe your peers of who wants to be here and who doesn't and who's going to help out and pick up my shift if I have an emergency or something like that? Are they going to be as invested as the people who applied it originally will be? I get that thought, but I also don't want to otherize our soap peers, you know, too hard because maybe they will just need a little extra time to recognize the beauty of this field and like how great it can be. But I, I certainly wouldn't want to put it on any of them that, oh, they don't want to be here, you know, because ultimately like this is the house of medicine and we're all colleagues and like one of my colleagues that I helped soap during soap week, she had applied OBGYN. And, but way back when we were on IM rotation together, she had been talking to me about, you know, I know you like EM really thinking about it. And so when she found out she didn't match, one of the first things she did later that day was call me and say, Hey, I'm going to soap EM. I know there's spots. Can you help me out? And we had a discussion about it, you know, before we really committed to that pathway. And she was just saying it's, it really hurt at first to not match OBGYN, but like within 15 minutes, it, I was like, this is an opportunity. You know, this just points me where I needed to go and really appreciate her attitude. And she matched a wonderful program. I think that's a really good point. Uh, we're going to capture people who wouldn't have considered this otherwise that are going to end up being fantastic ER docs. I mean, that happened to me in undergrad where I was going full on marine biology. I was looking at master's programs, trying to find one that wasn't going to be studying snail poop and hopefully something like fun, like sharks or dolphins or something. And had an intervention with somebody said, Hey, you should look at being a doctor. And I said, that's for smart people. And they said, no, seriously, you have the right personality. You should check it out. I would not be a doctor today had something weird like that not happened to me. And so I think that's kind of a good way to look at it from the soap perspective is we are going to capture some really cool people from, from the program director standpoint, John, are the, are the program directors going to be concerned about like having some of that fallout of maybe not as interested people ending up in programs and how to deal with that? Or is that more of kind of like you'll deal with it when the case-by-case -case basis comes? Yeah, I know that, you know, I, I'm a representative program director and everybody will have their own thing. I think my tack on it is I have to think about it in terms of, you know, health of the program. Of course, I have to be aware and not to acknowledge that would be foolish. 
But I also think that if you kind of set yourself the whole time thinking that the person that has joined your program isn't going to give it their all, I think you're doing a disservice to them and to the program. I think that you need to embrace fully. Everyone that's in your program is part of your family and they're part of the emergency medicine family. And, you know, I've had the experience of having a resident who, you know, we don't talk about this a lot, but the resident that was in EM that realized that that really wasn't where they needed to be. And we're the specialty that supports people in being their very best versions of themselves. So I think that's one thing that I will look at. Of course, it'll be an interesting thought. We don't have a lot of experience with it. And so I don't know, but I just know that I don't want to spend my energy worrying about what somebody's going to do their PGY two year when my goal should be to make their PGY one experience as awesome as it can be. But I wonder how it will look in six months, how it will look in seven months. I'd like to hear from you guys. What are your biggest fears about next year's match? I think for sure we've talked about it at this conference, trying to make emergency medicine sexy again, make it cool. (laughs) I obviously I'm applying to emergency medicine. I want my classmates to also see that it's an awesome specialty. But I think there's fears that because so many slots went unfilled, that programs are going to be interviewing more candidates for the same number of spots. So maybe an interview doesn't hold the same weight that it did in prior years, if that sentiment makes sense. But Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective that program directors actually don't think about. Yeah. Yeah, I well, believe it. And we've talked a lot about this amongst each other. You know, we've, we're talking a lot about candidates, but for, but the thing that we worry about, the thing that, that the people that we're talking to worry about is programs. You know, they see that a program filled three out of eight spots. And the, the immediate first question is, what's wrong with that program? And I think that we have to be careful about framing it that way because we've seen some truly excellent programs that, that we know are excellent, that we've had personal experience with, that we know the people who run it that didn't fill and and after kind of digging down into it a lot with a lot of people and really discussing it, it seems like all it really represents is a mismatch between how the candidates view the program and how the program believes the candidates are viewing them. It's just a perception difference is really all it represents. There are outliers. There are programs that didn't fill because they have developed certain reputations. And, you know, just as candidates get sometimes name and shamed and, you know, program director circles, I think, for certain unsavory behaviors. So too do programs get named and shamed in private circles amongst med students. And so like those kinds of things get around. So it's like how scared are candidates going to be of certain programs? Are they going to go back into this year's you know list and go, well, I was interested in this program, but oh man, they didn't fill by a large margin. What's wrong with them? And I think we have to also make sure that our messaging and, and the way that we approach this conversation reflects that's the wrong question to ask. It also makes it an exciting time as osteopathic students that we can break down some walls of programs that have never considered us before. We saw that this year at several programs that had not historically taken an osteopathic student. We have the first ones in this match, and it can continue on into our class next year, which is also very cool. 
I will say on the flip side of that, I am super excited for that as well. And I think there will be more opportunities, but I am nervous about the mentorship that osteopathic students receive. And that really has drawn me to kind of take on some of these leadership roles and provide that mentorship to students in osteopathic schools, because there is a wide range of how, what kind of mentorship and how these students are being mentored. And so even just, we were talking this weekend from a third year perspective on what our institutions, like how many programs we should apply to, what specific programs we should. And I have heard numbers from 40 to over a hundred. And again, that is just like, (laughs) I don't even want to calculate the math on how much that would cost. I have not gotten there yet. Um, Uh, But I think that's where an organization like ACOEP really comes in and hopefully can provide some of that mentorship gap to advise students because there's going to be a lot of changes I anticipate on how programs will deal with this and how students are looking at it too. And so I hope that we don't kind of widen that gap between what advice osteopathic students are receiving compared to others. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, I think something that we've seen is that a lot of times schools tend to have this one size fits all like blanket approach to the match. And I mean, this year showed that each year is different, different, each student is different. And in terms of advising, we can't really be saying like, you know, all DO students need to do this, or everyone needs to apply to this many programs or do this many things. And so I think it really shows that advising is not a one size fits all approach too. Yeah. For emergency medicine, pointing our students toward the NRMP outcomes in the match, you know, how many how many interviews you need to have to have a 95% plus chance of matching, you know, how to fall on that curve. That data is useless now. Yeah. I mean, we were all thinking like, you know, we still followed it this year. We went, okay, okay, I have 11 interviews. I have 12 interviews. I'm basically guaranteed to match now. Like I can relax, you know, it, that's not how it works. It's not how it works in a good year. I mean, you just need the one interview. That's all it takes if it's the right interview. But like now after these seismic shifts, we that none of it's valuable. Pointing a student toward that curve, that chart is utterly worthless. You know, I mean, we have no idea how many it takes to have a 95% chance of matching at this point. Five? Could be. Right. Could be. And the point of it can be the one, right? The interesting thing is, you know, there's two sides. There's the, your interview went really well. Your interview went really well for the program. Their perception of you is that you're a highly rankable candidate your perception of them is that they're highly rankable. In many years, that's really all it takes, right? But that's not really it anymore, right? Because just like you're talking about the number of interviews from the student's perspective, the number of interviews doesn't necessarily mean, right, your potential. It's the same with the programs, right? Because even for programs that filled and a perspective, you know, that students I find often don't think about, but it's an interesting perspective is when you look at how deep into a rank list, a program went, and there's no individual numbers that should be released about that because there's really no benefit to it other than the general trend is even programs that filled their program directors will blanket tell you that they went deep in their pockets Right. And so that also says something about the interesting idea that a more EM focused applicant is now, at least in this last match, is extremely competitive for every program. And so there may be people that have like, I like emergency medicine, but I'm kind of on the fence because I don't think 
I'm a strong enough applicant or I have enough, you know, whatever's or whatever, whatever, uh, that landscape has shifted fairly significantly. And so the advice that I think even mentors in med schools and, and probably not as much boots on the ground from programs, but from medical schools, their advice that they typically give, right, is, you know, I'm applying into orthopedic surgery, right? I need to know what scores I need, what I need to be affected, you know, and they'll look at you and go, well, you're not really a competitive applicant. Well, I would take all of that with a grain of salt now because we don't know at the moment. I know what a great applicant looks like, but I can't tell you what a competitive applicant looks like anymore because the definition of competition has changed. So it's really interesting you and your insights, which really balances the program insights that we had earlier. So I kind of wanted to hit off of that a little bit and go back to what you said earlier. You know, how do we make EM sexy again? How do we attract, get back to, you know, those medical students that are still searching for their career destination and are considering emergency medicine? How do we get back to them? Is this something where, you know, we need community docs like myself to be reaching out to med schools? Do we, you know, what's going to be an impact that's going to help share the story of how awesome the specialty is while also being realistic, right? Because it's not, no specialty is perfect. Emergency medicine, definitely not perfect. There's issues, but how do we share, how do we create that sexiness again for emergency medicine in those med students' On a more global scale, I think that encouraging schools to offer EM as a third year elective, because like my school, I had to use my elective to gain third year exposure to emergency medicine. But for my school, a lot of my classmates won't even see emergency medicine until spring of their fourth year, maybe after they've matched into another specialty. So I think that exposure piece is really important to gain. I had a lot of fourth year friends who after match had their EM mandatory rotation during fourth year and going into it, they were kind of like, oh, I'm so nervous. Like, I don't know about emergency medicine. Alex, why do you like it so much? And then they'd finish and they were like, holy cow, that was awesome. I see why you love it. I might have considered it a lot harder if I had it earlier. So I totally agree with that. One thing I hope to see is kind of an increased awareness of this social EM aspect, because I think something that I saw as a medical student is I think early on students tend to be interested in EM for the adrenaline, for the resuscitations and the traumas and CPR. And sure, that's a really awesome part of EM, but it's only a portion of EM. And so I think if we can talk more about some of the things that I love, you know, working with vulnerable populations, outreach, working with unhoused populations, and kind of place a more emphasis on that. We may be able to attract students who are really passionate about those things, passionate about helping people, and who also may understand the challenges that come with it, you know, the boarding and some of the more social challenges that we face in the ER. And so I think kind of shifting that perspective, you know, sure, there still is the adrenaline junkie side of EM, but I also think the social aspect is really important as well. That's a really good point. Anyone who is interested in hospital administration, public health, you want to know who has the best pulse on the healthcare system? I guarantee it's the ER because we see every single specialty's patients inside and outside the hospital all the time. Everyone else has a little tiny snippet, but we know everything. I think a lot of people don't realize how many avenues you can take out of EM as well, not realizing what fellowships you can do. I mean, even just this weekend, I was talking about how I was considering a sports medicine fellowship. And one of the students was like, I had no idea you could do sports med out of emergency medicine. It was like, you could do 
almost anything that you want out of emergency medicine. And that's not talked about. It it would be really cool to have, you know, EM physicians who are indulged in other opportunities speaking to schools about what avenues there are, you know, from EM on top of your typical adrenaline drunkie in the ER. I think it's interesting too, and you know, that in the osteopathic world, we have so many osteopathic schools that are very family medicine focused. I mean, that was their, that's their stated intent. That's their purpose is to produce family medicine physicians, often to serve rural areas. And the story that is often told to a lot of students who, who do have an interest in EM is that faculty will tell them, well, no, I mean, as a, as an FM doc, you can be the, you can be the OB, you can be the EM, you can do all of this. And this is not a knock against FM docs, but we all know that the landscape of EM is changing to favor board certified EM docs in emergency departments. And the days of, of a doc, an FM doc being a, a fully independent functioning ER doc, that's, they're getting pushed out and that, I, maybe that's the way it should be. I mean, that's, that's, that's definitely an evolution of the specialty, but for, but for schools to continue to tell students who are interested in EM and that like they're trying to tell everybody, I think I want to do that. But then the school tells them, well, no, it's easier for you to do FM. We need you to do FM, but like you can do EM in that. So don't worry. You'll still, you'll still get to have your cake and eat it too. I just want to put in a quick plug because I think that this podcast is amazing and just putting content out there for students that is accessible. You know, one of the first kind of things that I interacted with that made me love um, and everything about it was listening to EM Clerkship. And I'm sure at least all of the students here have resonated with that as well. And so I think EM Over Easy is a component of that, but definitely advocating for students to come to conferences like these. And so hopefully this makes this into the final pod. But but <laughs> seriously, our fall conference is August 12th through 16th, and the student programming is going to be the first few days. And so one of our goals, I think, from the RSO board is really to try to attract students who might be on the fence about EM to come to a conference to interact with y'all, attendings, PDs, and see like, okay, this really is an incredible specialty that I will consider applying to. And I think that, you know, coming to a conference, really being involved with a student programming is one fantastic way to attract more students. Yeah, I think that is so important. And it kind of goes back to something that Spencer was talking about earlier. You know, I think as students, we can get so caught up in like the student doctor network and the Reddit spreadsheets and everything. And I know as a med student, like, you know, I had people when I said, oh, I want to do emergency medicine. They're like, oh, have you seen on Reddit about how there aren't going to be any jobs? You know, have you heard this? Have you heard that? And there's a lot of, you know, misinformation about EM. And so I think that's why mentorship and conferences and opportunities to really talk to people in the field and hear, you know, the perspective and, and learn from people in the field on the ground is going to be really, really important. These intimate settings are one of the things that I think make EM sexy. It is a family. It's a community. And I think that some of the attendees, program directors that we meet at these conferences, their warmth and accessibility and willingness to answer questions and talk about why they would still pick emergency medicine if they had to do it all over again is one of the really neat things about this specialty, even compared to other specialties. I mean, if you want to talk about this podcast that we're on right now, we just recorded our, you know, happy seventh birthday for episode. And the genesis story for this podcast really is an EM conference. It was ACOEP where me and Andy and Drew met as students, met John, who was a resident at the time, and became friends. 
And then down the road, we all ended up at the same residency program. We made it a podcast because we were always getting off night shifts and wanting to get breakfast together. Like that's how this started was coming to a conference and meeting people and interacting. And I mean, it's just, it's, unbelievable how awesome experiences like this can be and so that's i think it's a really good point coming to conferences will make a huge difference in how you view the specialty the community of emergency medicine truly is incredible i mean it's talking to people in other specialties and they attend conferences and they're like yeah i was there i didn't really meet people like i have friends now for the rest of my life from coming to these conferences and it's unparalleled with other specialties like it is really special and so maybe to some degree, we're suffering from a branding issue. What, what's the messaging that we hear out in the wild? The emails that hit my inbox, you know, from the organizations I'm a part of, they, they talk about the things that are, you know, facing the specialty right now that are hard. They talk about boarding and they talk about, you know, pay cuts. They talk about, you know, reimbursement problems, et cetera. And, and if that's what people who are on the fence are seeing all the time, that, you know, the workforce report, all that, if that's what they're seeing all the time, and they don't already have a love for it, they're not gonna. And so, you know, we know, and we've seen, we know that coming to conference is is helpful, and we know that that changes minds, but it's gonna be hard to get people to that point to wanna come to a conference. Once you're here, you're, you're a convert, you know, but but to get to that point is, is there's a, a, big, a big step to take. And I think a lot of that does also go back to the schools as well. Something we face as the RSO is students saying, hey, like, I can't get a day off. My school won't give me time. Like, you know, I can't get funding to come here. And so I think that goes back to the schools as well, you know, providing opportunities and funding and time for students to have these opportunities. Awesome. Well, I, you know, I think we have just scratched the surface of this topic, but some really, really great discussion about one of the biggest current events in our specialty in a long time. I mean, I guess we just had a once in a lifetime pandemic and things like that, but it seems like so long ago, but no, thank you all so much for joining us. And I think this is something that is going to be an ongoing conversation and obviously something that is going to be continually something we have to work for and work at to improve and make our specialty better because truly the lifeblood of our specialty is the people behind us. And that's why it's always important to be reaching out and working on helping everyone else. So Thank you all for joining and please feel free to check out our podcast, emovereasy.com, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, yeah, we'll catch you all in the future.